workforces are being mobilized now, and it's clear that everyone needs a secure, connected device. Whether a vaccine administration machine, remote patient monitoring, where they set up your house, electronic visitor verification where someone comes to your home, a lot of it could have been driven by the pandemic and the necessity to build up this infrastructure. But I think it's just clear now that healthcare is mass adopting all types of enterprise mobility solutions as homes need to be turned into like hospitals now. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. As you may know, I've spent the last 15 years covering technology and learning how it works, demystifying everything from massive parallel processing to advanced robotics and everything in between. Yet, it's the conversations with some of the most forward-thinking leaders, those at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. When an organization needs mobile solutions, there are a couple of basic options. One is to adopt an existing technology and try your best to incorporate its capabilities into your business. The other is to adopt a custom solution designed to meet your specific business needs. Robert Morcos's Social Mobile specializes in that second option. Robert and his team built Social Mobile up from a humble startup out of a garage into a Google mobile services partner that creates solutions for companies in all industries. Social Mobile creates end-to-end solutions for its customers, which requires the team to be nimble and up to speed on the latest in mobile technologies. Robert sat down with me to talk about the challenges businesses face when creating mobile solutions, how big issues like the semiconductor chip shortage will require even bigger solutions, and how 5G is going to create transformative change. Robert, I want to welcome you to our show. Welcome to The Restless Ones. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited for the chat today. Yeah, I'm excited too. We're going to have a lot to talk about. But before we get into all the tech side of things and the business side of things, I want to know a little bit more about you because unlike a lot of the guests I talk to, you're someone who got professionally involved in the telecommunications industry very early on (laughs) in your life. So what drew you into a career in tech? So uh, we grew up without much as a family, I'm the oldest of five siblings. And when I was you know, 15 years old, I wanted to make some money. I realized really quickly that you know, a good way to do that was trading mobile phones. When I was 15, I think it was about 2000, and mobile devices were just becoming adopted to the masses in America. So think like the old school Nokia that everyone says is unbreakable, or the Motorola StarTech, or the Vader, or things like that. So I started buying all the used ones, and there wasn't really a secondary market to like repair or do these things. One of my friend's fathers had a lucrative business refurbishing them and selling them into Latin America. So I realized really quickly I can sell them through him. He did this for all the large telecom companies at the time. So I started there. I quickly moved to pawn shops, started buying them from pawn shops, selling them out of pawn shops. Throughout that process, I realized I can get half the money of a device if it was broken. So I started buying up the parts, figuring out how to reverse engineer them and selling them for double the money. <laughs> wow, right? that's that's incredible hustle. Yeah, from there, it kind of just spiraled, kept gravitating a little deeper. After college, I was like, I think I'll go back into the mobility. I, I mean, I know everything about it, obviously, right? And then, you know, as, as the business progressed, I realized I knew closer to nothing than everything. Well, I want to talk about social mobile because... 
the part of the story that blows my mind is the fact that you were able to do it without the use of outside capital, which is such a rare thing for us to hear. So can you tell us the origin story of that and how you managed to establish the company, not just form it, but see it actually grow and profit? Absolutely. You know, it helps to have people in from the beginning that actually care because otherwise it just doesn't work. You you can imagine the ups and downs of this business. We founded it originally out of a friend's garage, not even out of my own garage. We didn't have a garage, so out of a friend's garage. The business model is really interesting. We build today customized solutions for clients and clients that don't want something off a shelf. We sit down, we talk with them, we understand the business. They're bought in, they hand over the money necessary for the development and the engineering and the design and all those good things, right? And then we go from there. So obviously the other way where people tend to just develop stuff and hope someone buys it, that's a very tough business and it's very tough to compete with the large clients. Right, right. Well, what lessons did you learn early on? What sort of things were revealed to you as you were establishing this business? Man, how much time do you have today? (laughs) We've learned a lot. I think we learned early on that we, we really didn't know the landscape by any means the way we thought we were, right? It's separated. It's dominated by key players. We found out quickly a lot of those key players will potentially subsidize markets and make it even more difficult. I can give you some crazy stories and lessons learned as part of the process. I can give you one, actually a funny story, our first project. We built mobile devices under our social mobile brand, and we were happy. It was This was, again, my younger brother and I at the time, just the, the other co-founders, him and I started the business. And between the two of us, we bring in these 5,000 devices, and we sold them relatively quickly. I think it was just literally less than a week. And we made a profit, and we were like very excited about it. We are like, oh, man, this is, this is easier than we thought. We can do this all day. We get a call from one person that was like, hey, the phone doesn't dial 911. I, you know, I put them on hold. I said, Freddie, can you please check and see if any of the other ones dial? Comes back, he says, they don't. We immediately had a heart attack because, I mean, I think you don't have to be a mobile expert. I think you and I can agree phones need to dial 911, right? It's like an FCC mandate, but it was a mistake we made. So we immediately had to buy back all those devices. And we learned really quickly that this whole business was going to be one step forward, you know, two steps back. So that's one of the funny stories early on. But, you know, I think the most important lesson we've learned as part of everything else is you got to think outside the box as it relates to what businesses need and come up with more complex solutions as opposed to just like some piece of hardware that they're looking for, right? We like to think through what do they want long-term? How do we solve tomorrow's problem as opposed to just today? Well, and, and that's absolutely key, right? Being able to identify what it is your customer wants to do versus any given piece of hardware. I I have seen this myself many times where someone thinks they know what they want in the form of a specific product, but it turns out that product isn't going to do what the customer needs to have done. And to have that partner to come in and be able to identify what the goals are and say, This is the technology you need to achieve that goal. Let's not get distracted by the bells and whistles of stuff that ultimately isn't going to add value to your business. So that's kind of where social mobile steps in and helps to guide, correct? 
Yeah, correct. Now we're known within the industry as a group that's going to sit down with you and kind of help you build something that's long-term available to scale your business. Today, we're one of Google's key partners for private label projects. And you know, there's about 100 organizations out there that have the same Google GMS license that we have. For anyone that doesn't understand the simple way to paint that, it's a pretty powerful license. If you think back to when Trump was in office and he wanted to kind of shut down Huawei's growth, he made Google remove their license so they couldn't build certified, secure Android products. And that's one we have. So we're one of the partners now that focus on using that license to build customized solutions for enterprise. Again, it's not something off a shelf that just exists today that we want you to take and be happy with. It's where do you want to go today? Where do we need to go tomorrow? How do we make it future-proof? We don't want to do the exercise twice, we like to say. So like, just tell us what you need now because it's a complex process. I think that's also key because we know how quickly technology advances, the iteration on technology, whether it's the capabilities of processors or the capabilities of networks. And, you know, we've seen, obviously, the evolution of the cell phone into the smartphone and how that has had a huge disruptive impact on various businesses. Another aspect of tech that we've seen really skyrocket over the last decade is the Internet of Things. It feels like everything has an IoT component to it. So what have your observations been as to the evolution and growth of the Internet of Things since you got into the mobile world? Yeah, I think over the last 10 years, it's, you know, everything has essentially become connected. I've seen connected toothbrushes, connected shoes, right? Wearables. You know, when I was a kid, I never imagined that a car would park itself or let you know on the dashboard that this light's going to turn green in 30 seconds. It's impressive. There's a lot of companies doing a lot of cool things, and it's all done by, you know, connected devices. And I think you'll continue to see just about everything be connected. The cost to make some of these products is so low and the data is so valuable that comes out of it that, you know, arguably the ROI is almost immediate for certain organizations. Right. And we're even seeing lots of companies are investing in IoT technology on the manufacturing side where it's improving efficiencies and it's transforming the way that they do business. They start to learn things about their processes that they didn't know before, right? I see this mobile revolution really continuing and completely redefining everything we do. You mentioned earlier about how we've seen the cellular evolution happen as well from edge and 2G, 3G, all the way up to you know LTE and now 5G. How is the emergence of 5G affecting your work? Yeah, so obviously increased demand, right? Everyone wants 5G now. Telecom carriers just invested a lot of money to build up these infrastructures. They want people on there. They want to provide them new, faster, more connected devices. One of the issues is currently there aren't any really 5G entry-level options due to the cost associated with the overall technology. You know, for comparison, you can build a low-cost LTE mobile device for 50 bucks, right? And, and unfortunately, you can't really get 5G devices now at that price. But, you know, as you can imagine, organizations that are spending hundreds or thousand dollars, it's not really an issue. 5G, they're able to adopt it now. The telecom carriers, you know, they subsidize some of these things. You've all seen free device with your service. And eventually, they'll, not anytime soon, as they start to close down the 4G LTE network, they'll start finding ways to move you over with a free device as well. But just like anything else, those prices will 
come down with mass adoption, right? It's going to take a minute for sure. And then where are we seeing it? So we have access and we work with a few of the telecom companies today. And what we've seen is the ability for some of the organizations, since you talk about improving efficiencies, building out private networks for their own use. So private LTE in manufacturing facilities like that. So if you think about it, you get to build your own network in your own facility that you can control, right? So this isn't something you or I would do, but for large organizations, it makes so much sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because if you're using, you know, high-frequency 5G technology, then you've got the capability of having fiber-like connectivity, but you're not tethered by cables. That opens up the opportunity to incorporate that connectivity in, in areas where previously it would have been difficult or maybe even impossible to do. And the fact that you're talking about low latency and high throughput, I mean, there's so many different potential benefits. I imagine that that's going to be a huge part of your work going forward, too, is helping companies to see where there are the benefits for this kind of technology. Yeah, absolutely. For some organizations, it's not just about capturing the data. It's about how quick and every you know millisecond counts. For others, it's not a big deal today, right? And if they get it in one second versus a millisecond, they're fine with it. I also feel that for all those organizations that do refreshes in certain cycles, every few years, you know, they deploy something new and they pull something out to run their business. By that time, the mass adoption of 5G will be there and they'll be deploying 5G. It won't make sense to deploy LTE devices moving forward. Conventional thinking says you have to pay more to get more. I want the world. But T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to deliver premium benefits for better ROI. From customized 5G solutions to 360 support, we help you reach your business goals right now. I want it now. Innovating to improve business today and tomorrow. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or feature. See T-Mobile.com. I'm curious to learn more about your actual approach with your customers. Are there any examples of solutions that Social Mobile has worked on that you can share with us? So we like to stay in the background. We're we're the guy behind the guy, right Mm -hmm. behind the guy, a couple Mm -hmm. guys, right? Uh, (laughs) We sit down with organizations to try to figure out, like, what are you looking to solve? How many different markets are you going into? Because as you can imagine, if you think about today, if there's a mobile device for a specific telecom carrier, well, it works for that telecom carrier. It might not work in another part of the country. So we want to figure out where you're going and what you're looking to do, and a price point. Do you really need the world's greatest camera on there, or can we save you 60 bucks in providing a different solution? How are you going to get these repaired if they break, right? Because, you know, things break. How are you going to do the support? How are you going to deploy them? How are you going to put them into a location? Does the marketing collateral need to be, you know, simple because it's going to a specific place? Does it have to be easy? And then we come back to them, we provide them a proposal to build an entire deployment around what they want. And it touches on every aspect of what we've just named. And it's very comprehensive. In the past few years, we've done really well in healthcare, education, defense, hospitality. These solutions are needed 
regardless of the business if it's a large enterprise. There's some aspect of a deployment out there that's just been kind of put together with things off a shelf and it works, but there's absolutely a better way. And our job is to come to you and prove to you that there's a much better and more scalable solution. One of the things really organizations don't understand is because it's one of those, but this is how we've always done it, is if you think about any of the major smartphones that are consumer-based, in 12 months, there's a new version, right? Around Christmas time or whatever, there's the newer version. So imagine running your business. First, it takes time to validate that that's going to do your, the job. So that may take some time. And then you put it out to commerce and then you have a business to run. So year two, there's a new version of that device. You can't get the first version, right? So our job is to kind of put something out where you can continue deploying and scaling your business for three to five years and you don't have to worry about the consumer aspect. By the way, everything we're suggesting cost them less money than they're paying today. Mm. And so instead of having to figure out how you can do what you need to do on a piece of technology that exists, they're working with you where they can get a piece of technology that does what they need it to do right off the bat. And it's a customized solution, not something where they have to fit their process to meet whatever the limitations are of that particular consumer hardware. And to your point about Coming to terms about things like maintenance and repair, obviously, there are certain companies out there that have a reputation for making it, let's say, challenging to repair and maintain certain pieces of hardware without going through extremely specific channels. And being able to have that solution built in as well, where you have that confirmed, here's how we're going to treat issues where you need repairs made or maintenance I think that's absolutely key because obviously the companies that are making this technology want to encourage you to buy the new one, preferably every year if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty spot on. Just to be clear, I think the pandemic now with what's happened and the supply chain uncertainty, the larger organizations, the bigger the size, realize that they want more direct visibility and guarantees. It's unfortunate, but a lot of the larger organizations a, they don't sell direct, regardless to the size of the client in most cases. And there's no really service level agreements. And if there are, those are more so like, great, you know, ship it back, we'll take care of it. And our clients need to be online all the time. Think about a kiosk stops in a hospital, like we need to get that thing back online tomorrow, mm -hmm. if not today. Well, are you seeing any industries that are perhaps moving to adopt smart device solutions at a faster pace than others? Or is it more like an individual size organization, regardless of industry? I think right now there's two that are adopting at a higher pace than everyone else, right? The food and beverage, you know, the pandemic's really pushed that whole space. If you go into any fast casual place right now, you'll notice there's kiosks instead of going up to a register. There's people in drive-throughs with mobile devices, improve the efficiencies, capture the data, get the food ready quicker, pre-order. Obviously there's online ordering, there's food on demand delivery, and it's all done. And that's all being done by some aspect of a smart solution. The other one, which is really large in size, is healthcare. Workforces are being mobilized now, and it's clear that everyone needs a secure connected device, whether a vaccine administration machine, whether remote patient monitoring, where they set up your house, electronic visitor verification, where someone comes to your home. A lot of it could have been driven by the pandemic and the necessity to build up this infrastructure. But I think it's just clear now that healthcare is mass adopting all types of enterprise mobility solutions.
And and to your point, I mean, the pandemic really drove home the old saying that necessity is the mother of invention, as we saw everyone come to grips with what it means to continue to do business in a world where, in many cases, you know, you had essentially quarantine orders in place. You saw so much rapid innovation of technologies that have existed for a while, but perhaps had not been put to best use until recently. I imagine that has to be a big driver for your business as well as developing these solutions for companies that have found themselves needing to adopt a different, more nimble, more remote approach to doing the businesses they do. Yeah, as I mentioned, the healthcare, the different groups for electronic visitor verification that need devices to be able to operationalize these workforces, that's actually grown for us significantly prior to the pandemic, but more so during the pandemic as homes need to be turned into like hospitals now. What role do you see smart devices playing when it comes to things like managing supply chain? We have seen so many bottlenecks in supply chain as a result of the pandemic and then the semiconductor shortage. There are obviously multiple factors that are exacerbating this, and there are industries that are in real pain right now as a result of that. What role can smart devices play in helping kind of right the supply chain tower as it's leaning over right now? Yeah, to say the the global supply chain has been tested the last few years, you know, is, is an understatement, right? The constraints of what was happening put such a giant focus on like the interconnected industries and what needs to be done. You know, in the past, one that we've seen that's actually pretty cool is sensors that go inside a container being shipped. Think about drugs. They have to be kept at a certain temperature. And if it ever reaches below a certain temperature, you obviously know those drugs are no longer good. It will report that temperature back. And once it reports it back, it almost automatically files an insurance claim for that. So imagine like the efficiency in something like that. But I think, you know, you'll continue to see companies popping up that have innovative solutions that they'll be bringing to market, especially now with all the opportunity there. And I think that the larger organizations for this data are willing to pay for any innovation in any way you can help them save any percent or solve and get visibility into any additional aspects of the supply chain they don't have today. Well, and I've also seen that you kind of chimed in on the conversation in the United States in particular, an attempt to move more semiconductor production and manufacturing over here in order to help alleviate issues with supply chain. What do you think is the biggest challenge? Do you think that the biggest challenges are things like engineering technical solutions or affecting political change that enables that to even happen in the first place? So I think everyone's going to agree with me on this, that it's absolutely certain that it's political change. There's smart people doing really cool stuff every day, that's not going to stop. The political change is what needs to happen. If you think about the Chips for America, there was bipartisan agreement. It still took them years to solve for that. Today, one of the issues that's not really covered is the downstream suppliers. Certainly a car company can take a chip that's made locally and stick those chips into the car. They have the full supply chain for that, and that's fine. Big win for them. But if you think about all the other products that require chips, that downstream supply chain doesn't exist. So there are, give or take, 300 components in a mobile device. 
It's fantastic that we've got one of them back, a critical one. So I don't want to understate that very critical one. The rest can be done, but that aspect needs to be looked at and built out. If you look at any of the other countries that are successful in this, there's some aspect of government cooperation. There's countries like Brazil, there's countries like India, where if you want to import something in, there's massive taxes, right, up to 100%, which force you to have to build up the local economy to be able to provide these downstream supply chain. Right, because otherwise... To your point, you could have a, a market where, yes, you're producing the chips, but you still have to ship those chips somewhere else so that they could be incorporated into, say, a circuit board and then shipped elsewhere so it could be packaged before it's shipped back over to the United States and you really haven't solved anything. Yeah, speaking bluntly, I don't know what anyone's thinking. Like, this is a massive problem. I do feel that they can build up the downstream supply chain within the time they're going to need to build up the semiconductors, which is years, right? I think it can be done, absolutely. But it doesn't even seem to be on anyone's radar. Yeah, I think it's because whenever we start talking about things like supply chain, it quickly becomes clear that these are very, very large systems that are interdependent upon so many different variables that it starts to get difficult for the average person to kind of wrap their mind around it. So what they do is they identify a very clear pain point, in this case, semiconductors, which obviously also hit the news all the time because of political issues, say, like between Taiwan and China, where that's first and foremost in everyone's mind. So they just say this thing runs on semiconductors. Semiconductors are in a short supply. Building semiconductors here will help that without thinking that's one step in a multi-step process. And it doesn't address any of the other steps in order to actually get to a point where we've solved the big problem. This is one part of a solution. Yeah. So a lot of the downstream stuff can be solved relatively quickly. And, you know, again, semiconductors, hands down, the most critical one. But there are other really important ones. You know, LCDs, batteries is another one. These are not simple things to build up a domestic supply chain for and absolutely need additional help. Well, something else I wanted to ask you about, is there something like a a specific use case where your company came in and helped a client where you can maybe speak to general terms about how you saw a really transformative result. Yeah, so there's a couple of them that make me proud to have been a part of. I think everyone at this point is familiar with vaccines. And one of our clients is a vaccine administration company, and they needed a first ever type device. And that had to have a built-in scanner so that they can properly deploy these vaccines And we ended up building one for them during the pandemic. There's a good amount of them out there now. And we're very proud that we were able to do that during that time. Another example is with one of our clients, DoorDash. And we were able to provide them a a more scalable solution that can grow their business during the pandemic. You know, think about if you place an order and how it gets into a restaurant. There's a whole solution that goes on behind the scenes. So we were able to build them a customized solution. I can't even imagine what it must feel like to be part of a team that builds a first ever something, in this case, the scanning technology for the vaccine administrator. That has to be an incredible sense of accomplishment to say the thing they needed did not exist until we made it. That's got to be just an incredible feeling. Yeah, that group went to Google. Google 
introduced them to us. When I say didn't exist, it also is the machine itself didn't exist. Also, it had never been Google certified. So Google certification, which we could talk about, is really critical. You want to secure platform, something that you're not going to get viruses with. And as part of that, it was the first ever Google certified type device as well that had never been done. And to your point, where security issues are top of mind as well. So I imagine that that's a really top of line concern for your company is making certain that the solutions you create are at these certified levels of security and reliability. Yeah, absolutely. I'll first start by saying I'm not the mobile security expert for our business. We do have two of them, though, our chief product officer, Jason, and our CTO, Mike, and they've taught me pretty well. So I can discuss on the security side. But at a high level, we build everything Google certified from the ground up, meaning it's the same exact security you would expect with any of the other major brands. And I think that's also one of the most misunderstood technologies out there. To the average guy walking down the street, I don't think they understand how many bad actors are out there looking to get your data, looking to get in, and how Google not only combats that, but then holds the entire ecosystem accountable. If you think about it, you just get all these continuous updates in the Play Store, right, that say, hey, you have an update, you have an update, you have an update, and no one really understands what's happening behind that. So there are organizations out there that build these devices and try to convince organizations that you don't need that, and they'll secure it. But if you think about it, Google's aggregating these security vulnerabilities based on billions of user features feedback. And there's no cost to it. I think I'd rather allow them to do it than pay some other organization a premium. And you're right, we've seen a lot of organizations start off in that route because they've somehow duped some IT guy to get in the door. And they end up with some massive vulnerability and they end up doing full circle and coming back to us. Google certification is a barrier to entry. All large organizations will not let you on the property if you don't have a basic Google certification on a product. So our goal is to build those custom Google solutions for clients. Our CTO, Mike, oversaw security when he was at Google, and he came in to be our CTO, and he takes this stuff very seriously. He's really instilled that fear in us because, you know, again, we have the ISO certifications required to handle data, but, you know, there's always tests and there's always penetration tests to see if we can get through. He's scared all of us straight with some of the stuff he's seen from the other side to make sure we're doing all the right things. Excellent. It's a good fear to have. Before I let Robert go, I had to ask him one more thing. What is the best piece of advice a mentor has given you? I would say the best piece of advice is build a team as fast as you can of like-minded people. You can't do anything alone. It's just not possible, right? There's not enough hours in the day. I think our organization's proof of that. Today, we're built up with a lot of people I've known since childhood. I've got two sisters in the company. I've got my brother in the company. My mom works here. There's two people I've known since I was 12 here. There's another guy we've known since we're five. And they all came in early on and have been, you know, kind of same focus. It was being able to build a solid team you can trust. I think that's a massive advantage to be, surrounded by a group that cares, that isn't just necessarily motivated by money day one, that's looking for the bigger picture. You know, we're a tight-knit group. Everyone's been pivotal to getting the business to where it is. So build the team, build it as quick as you can, and make sure you can trust the people. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
I'm really impressed with Social Mobile and what Robert Morcos and his company have achieved. And I admire the company's approach to identifying the right solution for clients rather than just throwing tech for tech's sake at the problem. As the pandemic taught us, it's important to be agile and adaptable, and mobile technology is playing an increasingly important role in that. I'm eager to see where social mobile goes in the future. I suspect we're going to see rapid adoption of 5G solutions soon as companies start asking questions about how they can leverage connectivity to do business more efficiently, more cost-effectively, and with the benefit of data analysis on an unprecedented scale. Thanks again to Robert Morcos for joining the show and sharing his perspective. Be sure to join us for future episodes where we'll speak with other pioneers in the tech leadership space. I'll see you then. T-Mobile for Business knows companies want more than a one-size-fits-all approach to support. I want the world. So we provide 360 support customized to your business. From discovery through post-deployment, you'll get a dedicated account team and expertise from solutions engineers and industry advisors already right now. I want it now. 360 support that's customized for your success. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. 